The lesson this morning is not a very pleasant lesson. In fact, um, to be quite honest with you, I hope at the conclusion of this lesson you are uh, a little bit disturbed. In fact, um, I dare say I hope that you're a little bit frightened. Um, In fact, let me change that. I hope you're a lot frightened. In fact, I hope that in some ways you're terrified. And the purpose of the lesson is not just for the sake of shock value, trying to, to make you terrified, but the purpose of the lesson is to warn you, to make sure you're on guard, to make sure that you understand how things work, to make sure that we need to be, as Christians, someone who is constantly aware of the situation that we are in. A few moments ago, Scott got through reading for us uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. And at the end of that particular passage in the NIV, it says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The King James Version and the New King James Version has the word devices, but the word in the Greek carries with it an idea that uh, Satan has a plan. Satan has a, a some type of system in mind that he uses in order to make sure, as it says in the text, that he can outwit us. Now, folks, I believe in all of my heart in God. I believe that God exists. I believe he sent his only begotten son to this earth to die for us. I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe that God and Jesus Christ exist with all of my heart. But there's also another being, I believe, that exists with all my heart. And that is, I believe that there is a being called Satan. I believe that there is a supernatural called a being called Satan, and I believe that he is real. I believe he is on this earth. I believe that he is trying to do everything he can to destroy us. I believe that he is as real as God is real, and that hell is as real as heaven is real, and so we need to pay very close attention to this being that we have to deal with on this earth called Satan. Satan is the exact opposite of everything that God is. God is love. God is goodness. God is merciful. God is full of grace. But Satan is ugly. Satan wants to destroy us. Satan is a terrible being. So we need to pay very close attention to him. And I think it is useful from time to time we need to be reminded about how real he is and how that he is trying to do something to do us, to us. In the text it says he's trying to outwit us. And he does this by using some of his schemes. So I thought it would be useful this morning if we spend some time talking about Satan and his schemes. Now basically we're just going to ask two questions this morning and we're going to just provide an outline to you. We're just going to put it up on the screen and list it because I want to make sure you're very clear about how he goes about doing this. Make sure you understand what his devices or his schemes or whatever his system is in trying to outwit us, trying to make us do his will if you will. And the very first question we're going to ask this morning is simply this. What is he doing? What is Satan doing as far as his schemes are concerned? 
Well, the very first thing that he does is that he is trying to destroy man. Satan's goal, as far as his purpose in, in, in existence, is trying to destroy man. He wants to see your soul destroyed. He wants you to spend eternity in hell. He wants to make sure that you have nothing to do with God. In fact, there's a very ominous passage over in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 where the apostle Peter reminds us, he says that we need to be sober. We need to be vigilant because our adversary, the devil, walking, is walking about seeking whom he may devour as a lion. In other words, the picture that Peter wants us to picture in our mind is that the devil is a lion and we are the prey and the devil's waiting in the bushes, if you will. He's waiting hidden in the jungle, if you will, waiting for us to come out and expose ourselves in the view of him, and then he's ready to pounce on us. He wants to devour us. He wants to destroy us. His main goal with each and every one of us is to destroy us. So we need to make sure at the very beginning that everything that we talk about today, when we ask the question, what is he doing? His ultimate goal is to destroy mankind. But then you also think about the fact that he is trying to separate us from God. In his effort to destroy us, he wants to separate us from God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2 reminds us, uh, God describing himself, he says, My hand is not so short that I cannot save you, nor is my ear so dull of hearing that I cannot hear you. But because of your sins and your iniquities, you have separated yourself from me. God cannot tolerate sin. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. He, because he is totally holy, has to be separate and apart from sin. And Satan understands this. So he's trying to do everything that he can to separate us from God Almighty. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, you remember that mankind, Adam and Eve, were living in a paradise. They were in fellowship with God. That they uses the andromorphisms of how God walked in the garden with them. They had perfect unity with God. They were innocent and without sin, and therefore they were together with God. There was no separation. But Satan didn't like that. We know how Satan came to Eve in the form of a serpent and how that he tempted her and beguiled her into doing something that God commanded that they should not do. And she took a bite of that fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and thus causing them to be separated from God, causing them to be separated from paradise, and ushering into the world sin and death, causing us to be separated from God by our own sins. Satan wants to make sure that we are separated from God. But as a byproduct, Satan also wants us to be separated from one another. Satan does not like us having relationships with one another. He does not want us to have good relationships with friends. He does not want us to have good relationships with relatives. He does not want us to have good relationships with our 
families. He does not want us to have good relationships with our spouses. He wants to try to do everything he can to separate us. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but every quarrel that happens between a fr- in a friendship, Satan is behind it. Every relationship that breaks up, Satan is behind it. Every fight we have with our spouse or somebody else in this world, it's because Satan is behind it. In fact, James offers us this advice in James chapter 3, beginning of verse 13. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unscriptural, of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. But dead, and in the middle of this particular passage, is pointing out the fact that the good aspects of a relationship come from heaven. The kind of relationship that puts the other person first in your life as opposed to being selfish and putting yourself first. The kind of relationship that leads to peace comes from heaven. But the kind of relationship that has selfish ambition, that has envy, that causes disruption, that's the opposite of peace. This passage reminds us that it comes from Satan. It comes from the devil. The devil wants to destroy our relationships. He not only wants to separate us from God, he wants us to be separated from each other. So we need to be reminded when that feeling of hate arises or that feeling of selfishness arises or that feeling of envy arises and it's causing a conflict between you and somebody else, I want you to understand and appreciate the fact that it is the devil that is trying to do this to you. He wants to make sure that we're separated from God and that we're also separated from one another. That's all a part of his scheme in his effort to destroy us. But notice also, not only is he trying to destroy man and separate us from God and from one another, he uh, also has a way of doing this. How is his plan? How does he go about doing the things that he is doing? What is the scheme behind it? Well, the very first thing that he does is that he tempts us. I think all of us are aware of the fact that temptation does not come from God. The temptation to do wrong, of course, comes from Satan. In fact, let's look at a couple passages where this is pointed out. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. Paul wrote the church at Thessalonica, he was concerned about them and how the church was doing and whether or not they were remaining faithful and strong. And finally, he couldn't stand it any longer. He had to write to them to find out what was going on because he was concerned that the tempter was tempting them. The tempter is just another word for the devil. The tempter is just another word for Satan. He is someone who is trying to tempt us, trying to get us to do wrong. 
In fact, we have another passage where Jesus himself was led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. If Satan will tempt the Son of God, if Satan will try to get Jesus Christ to sin, and as strong and as powerful as he was, can you imagine what he's trying to do to you in his effort to destroy you, to separate you from God, to separate you from your fellow man? It's all part of his scheme. He tries to tempt you with the things of this world. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. One other passage, John chapter 13 and verse 2, of course talking about Judas Iscariot, says in supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. In other words, Satan used Judas's heart in the fact that he was somebody who enjoyed money. The fact that his heart was not where it's supposed to be. The fact that he did not have the faith in what Jesus Christ was saying. He was able to use those thoughts and those ideas in Judas's heart to get him to betray the very Son of God. Satan is trying to tempt us each and every day of our lives. As the passage before in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, it all began in the Garden of Eden. Just like Satan tempted Eve, he's trying to tempt you. Just like Satan tempted all those who lived before the flood, he's trying to tempt you. Just like David was tempted with Bathsheba, he's trying to tempt you. Just like, as we've been studying on Sunday morning, Potiphar's wife tried to tempt Joseph, Satan is trying to tempt you. He knows if he's going to destroy you, he's got to turn you to his side. He's got to find a way to separate you from God. He's got to find a way to separate you from the fellow man and the strength that you may get from those relationships. It's all part of his scheme. But not only does he tempt us, he also lies to us. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus says the most amazing thing. He very clearly, without a doubt, calls Satan a liar. He says, Satan is a liar, but he doesn't stop there. He says he is the father of lies. In other words, where did lying originate? It originated with Satan. Think about that for a few moments. Every lie you've ever heard, Every lie you've ever told, where did that all begin? It all began with Satan. He is a liar and he is the creator and the father of lies. He is always lying to us. Lying to us how things may turn out. Lying to us about how much we may enjoy something. Lying to us about all kinds of things. Is it no wonder in Revelation 21 in verse 8, it says that all liars shall have their place in the fire that burns with fire and brimstone. Satan is a liar. He lied to Eve, and he will lie to us. Satan, as a part of his scheme and his effort to tempt us, he's going to lie to us. But not only that, he pretends to do good. You know, we have a picture in our mind because of drawings and maybe Hollywood or whatever uh, that Satan is this red devil-looking thing. 
that has horns and a long tail, and uh, he's carrying a pitchfork, and, and he's running around, and he's trying to make people do bad things. But that's not the way the Bible portrays him. The Bible doesn't give us a description with horns and a tail and all these different things. In fact, look at the description that the Bible gives him. He says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. But notice what it says in the text. That Satan doesn't go around saying, look at me, I'm a bad person. You better be scared of me. You better make sure that when you see me coming, you're, you're scared of me. No, Satan goes around acting like he's somebody good. That this is going to be the good thing for you. This is going to be the best thing for you. In fact, in the context of what we're looking at here, there are even those in the religious world who claim to be uh, angels of light, but in fact they are servants of Satan. Because that's what Satan does. Satan tries to make sure that he is something that does not scare you, that he is something that you would feel that he is on your side, somebody who it was always has what's best for you, that there's only good involved. In fact, another passage comes to mind. Talking about Judas a few moments ago, it says six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus had lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, but Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But now listen closely. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him, objected and said, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Now look at what's happening here. I can just picture Judas, if you will, in my mind, we're all, they're all sitting around this table, and this event takes place with Mary. And Judas sounds so pious. He sounds sanctimonious in a way. He's saying, oh, just think what a waste this is. Oh, I cannot believe that Mary would be so, uh, so silly in what she is doing here. We could have taken this ointment. Guys, don't you know, we could have taken this ointment and we could have gone down to the market and we could have sold this for a year's wages. And just imagine how much good we could have done with that money. Think of the people who could have been fed. Think of the people who could have been clothed. Think about the people who could have been helped. Here he was on one side of his face being very pious and religious. But deep down on the other side of this two-faced individual, the only reason why he was saying this was because if he could have taken that money from selling it at the market, he could have put it in his own pocket. You see, that's the way that Satan works. Satan puts his front, false front forward, and he says, this is how things need to be, and, and this is a good thing. But behind it, as he acts as an angel of light, he is still someone 
who is trying to destroy us because he knows. In fact, even Jesus Christ, when he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, notice what Satan does here. He says, if you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. In other words, this is out of Scripture, Jesus. We're talking about the Bible here. Don't you believe in the Bible? For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now what he's doing there is he's misapplying Scripture. He's using Scripture in a false way, which sometimes people even do today. But my point is, what was his motive? His motive was not to get Jesus to obey the Word of God. His motive was not to get Jesus to do what God wanted him to do, but his motive was to tempt Jesus into sinning, and he misused Scripture, appearing to be good, in order to try to get him to do it. Satan certainly is not someone who is good. He just simply pretends to do good. But in his scheming, what else does he do? He also removes the fear of punishment. Once again, go back to the Garden of Eden. What did he tell Eve? He says, I know God said this to you. I know he said, don't you eat of this tree because you'll surely die. But let me tell you something, Eve. It won't happen. You won't, you won't die. Don't you worry about it. He's just afraid that you're going to be like God. You see what he did? He removed uh, the fear of punishment. And he does that to us today as part of his scheme. He says to you, now you just go ahead and do this. You won't get caught. He says, you just go ahead and do this. There's not really a place called hell. You just go ahead and do this. You have plenty of time. Don't you worry. You'll get things right. He is someone who constantly tries to lie to us and tell us that there's no such thing as punishment. In fact, it seems as this world keeps going around and around, more and more we get the idea that there's really not such a place as hell. There's really not any kind of consequences for anything that we do. And when Satan realizes that we're doing that, it just makes him scream in delight because he's trying to destroy us. And one of his schemes is, He removes the fear of punishment. But also, he tries to prevent you from being saved. He knows that when a person comes forward and predicated upon their faith in Jesus Christ and their repentance and confession, and they are baptized in the watery grave of baptism, he knows he's already lost part of the battle. And that's why oftentimes I will admonish new Christians. I said, be ready because if there ever was a time that Satan is going to use everything that he has against you, he's going to use it against you now because he fears like you're being lost to him and he wants to destroy you. He wants to separate you from God. He wants to do everything he can to keep you from being saved. In fact, as we open our Bibles, we are reminded of the passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 where it says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the the image of God. The God of this age is talking about Satan. The world that we live in is what he's referring to. 
And who is the God of the people that live here on this earth as far as the majority of the world is concerned? It is Satan. And Satan is doing everything he can to blind us to make sure that we do not respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 17, says, But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. In other words, Paul wanted to visit the church at Thessalonica, but circumstances kept happening that kept him from doing it, and he understood it was the effort of Satan trying to prevent him from saving those who were lost and strengthening those who were saved. Satan is someone who is trying to prevent us from being saved. And so this morning, as we close this lesson, I want you to make sure that you're well aware of Satan and his schemes. What is he trying to do to you this morning? He is trying to destroy you. He is trying to separate you from God. He is trying to separate you from your fellow man. Now, how does he go about doing this? Well, he goes about doing this in various ways, but I can go ahead and tell you this morning that as you live your life here on this earth, Satan is going to tempt you. He's going to know what your weakness is, and he's going to try to do what he can to try to tempt you to get you to sin. He is going to lie to you. He's going to try to make you think that punishment is not real. He's going to try to do everything he can to keep you from being saved. Satan did it with Eve. Satan did it with a host of others in the Bible. Satan has done it with many people down through the centuries. Satan even today is trying to do what he can in this church to destroy us. And this morning I can guarantee you that Satan is trying to do everything he can to destroy you. And so it would be good if we close once again with the words of Peter. And Peter remind us, and this should be our watchword as we leave this place today. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He reminds us that we need to be sober. In other words, we need to be level-headed and think about this. And we need to be vigilant. In other words, watchful. We need to be on guard and know that we have now been warned and be on the lookout for it. Because our adversary, our enemy, the one who wants to destroy us, our adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing.